And so it's such an exciting thing to be here with you. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. Again, we're going to begin a new series and I want to show you why it's appropriate to look at the story of Jonah on Easter. Jesus is dealing with a religious crowd in Matthew chapter 16 that want a sign from heaven. They're really looking for him to clear up who he is through some supernatural, unmistakable sign from heaven. And Jesus says to them in verse four, a wet, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now drop down to verse 21 and Jesus breaks down to those who are closest to him as disciples, exactly what he was trying to get across to those religious leaders when he said, I'll give you only one sign and it's going to be the sign of Jonah. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. It goes on to say, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised back to life. Jonah would be really what the entire Old Testament is. Every law, every prophecy, every historical event for 6,000 years, as we have record of, is pointing to this one moment where Jesus shows up on the planet and he lays his life down. He sacrifices his life and that God raises him from the dead. Everything that you read, everything that you come across points to that moment. This is the culmination of it all. And so for example, a foreshadow that we see in the life of Jonah would be that as Jonah was swallowed by the great fish, so our sins swallowed up the son of the living God. As Jonah sank into the dark, deep waters, so Jesus was buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. As Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, and finally he comes to himself and prays so Jesus would be in the belly of hell for three days and three nights and preach to the prisoners that were still in prison. On the third day, God commanded that that fish vomit Jonah out of its mouth. And in the same way, God commanded that death, hell, and the grave let loose of Jesus on the third day. And he rose again in a striking, triumphant, and miraculous manner. And so it is that we can get an understanding of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection by looking at the story of Jonah. Jesus said that this famous story will be a great illustration for you to understand how I came, defeated death, hell, and the grave now, because Jonah is one of those stories we've all heard since Sunday school, um, if you grew up in church or you're around church at all, you would have heard this story as a child. If you have a children's Bible, for example, you would know there's a lot of stories that make their way into uh, the children's Bible, but there's a lot that, that don't make their way there. Jonah is going to be the colorful pictures of Jonah being swallowed by this great fish are going to be in every children's Bible. 
Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets in your Bible. Minor just meaning that they have smaller books than that of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Not less than, just more compacted what we have to read about when it comes to the minor prophets. And so you've probably heard of Habakkuk or Malachi or Micah, Zechariah, Zephaniah. We could go on through them. But if I were to ask you today to tell me the story of Habakkuk, would you tell me the story of Micah? Would you give me some insight into the life of Zephaniah? I'm guessing that all collectively together, we would not have much to say about the life stories of any of the minor prophets except for Jonah. But when it comes to Jonah, we would all be able to, in some way, shape, or form, explain what happened in his life. This is why Jonah is the most relatable of all the prophets. He's relatable because commentaries tell us that he is the author of this book. And so with that in mind, you have to think about how vulnerable Jonah is. Think about how transparent he's willing to be because he gives us an inside look into his flaws, his weaknesses, his mistakes, his mess ups. God comes to Jonah in the very first chapter and the very first verse and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to head to Nineveh. And Jonah runs in the opposite direction, runs from the Lord. Jonah does, wants nothing to do with what God's asking him to do, which helps all of us who sometimes have a problem with the things that we don't like that God tells us to do. The things in the scriptures or the things that you hear in church, sometimes you're like, I don't like that part of the Bible. And so we put on our earmuffs, la, 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 la. I'm not gonna do that. And like Jonah, God says, go that way. And we run in the opposite direction. I love that Jonah chapter four explains to us why Jonah decided to run. It says that he does not believe that Nineveh is deserving of mercy. He doesn't believe that Nineveh is deserving of God's compassion. He gets angry at God. He actually says to God, you're wrong for wanting to show mercy to those people. Jonah believes that Nineveh deserves justice. He believes that Nineveh deserves for God to go and get him, not for God to show him mercy. And when you think about that, I can relate to Jonah in that way every now and then. Not very often, but someone will enter my world and I'll think to myself, God, get that person. God, sick that person. In my own prayer life, I'll, have you ever heard David pray that prayer? God, break the teeth of my enemies. Sometimes I'm that way. Anybody else? You're just like, God, get them. We want justice, but God extends mercy. This bothers us, gets under our skin. It irritates us. God, how could you show mercy to that? How could you show mercy to them? Let's bring it home. Even in our own lives, the reason a lot of times we don't show up much more than Easter, no shame in that, but just, let's just be honest with each other for a second on Easter. That when we look at our own life, we think of the messes we've made, the mistakes that we've made, the that where we're at in our life and that we're the furthest from someone that should be considered a candidate for God's mercy. 
We keep making mistake after mistake. We keep running back to the same thing, the same hang up, the same issue over and over and over. And so it's just so easy to run from it and avoid it because in our minds, even when it comes to ourselves, we can't believe that God relentlessly just wants to keep coming back and showing us over and over and over again, his mercy and compassion. And so Jonah decides he's going to go on the run. He's the evidence that you can be in church, but inside you're running. Jonah teaches us that you can be in church, but on the inside, you still don't want to deal with your issues. On the inside, you still have an unforgiving heart. On the inside, you still harbor prejudices. God's pointing one way, but like Jonah, you're running the other way. So in his story, it teaches us that God sends gifts to all of those who are on the run. The first gift that we see God gives Jonah is an unusual gift. God is not a normal gift giver. God is the giver of gifts. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights and whom there's no shadow of turning. However, when we think the kind of gifts that God's going to give us, the good and perfect gifts, we have an idea of what that gift should look like. However, verse four of chapter one says that God sends the storm into Jonah's life. So God gives him the unusual gift of a storm. Did you know the storms in your life are a gift? Did you know all that stuff that you're looking at right now that you, that's bringing all kinds of chaos and confusion and pain into your life? Did you know those storms can be a gift and that those storms come wrapped in all kinds of different packages? You could be in a marriage storm. For example, Sarah and I are in a marriage storm right now. This morning I woke up and walked downstairs and our dogs had blessed me <laughs> with what they should have done outside, but they did inside. And I have a demon possessed pit bull that looked at me and said, happy Easter preacher. the real life versus the imagined life. And because I had to get to church, I decided to leave that mess for Sarah to take care of. And I'm driving in to church and I'm thinking to myself, that was a terrible thing to have done. You got to go talk to those people about living right and you coward. So Sarah calls me and I tried to explain to her, I have to work all day. And she goes, mm-hmm and hangs up. Appreciate that you're here today. <laughs> you got marriage storms, you got financial storms. If you're dating and you're single, well, that's pretty much all a storm. 
You've got raising kids storms. You have health storms. We could go on and on. But God gives us storms and they're sent to shake us. They're sent to disrupt us. They're sent to get our attention. They're sent to shake us to the core of who we are. And I've never had God send me a storm that did not get my attention. Now, I don't like the storms that God sends. I don't appreciate them. I don't sit back and thank God for them. I don't like pain. I don't like chaos. I don't like confusion. I, 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 don't, I don't like the, the negatives that life dishes out to all of us. And so I respond like Jonah. I don't run into the arms of a loving God when the unusual gift of a storm hits my life. I like him. I'm running as far away from God. I'm not proud that I respond that way. But Jonah gives me the permission that if he can talk about the real life, then maybe I can spend some time and just say, hey, it's normal for all of us when the unusual gift of the storm shows up to say, nah, God, I'm not into this. And we run away from him instead of run to him. So this gift of a storm hits Jonah's life and he goes out and he finds a vessel that a ship, a boat that will take him the opposite direction of the way that God had asked him to go, which you'll always be able to find that by the way, you'll always find a vessel. You'll always find a relationship. You'll always find some wrong people that will help take you in the wrong direction. They're really easy to find. You don't have to look very far to find those people. Always going to be someone that jumps on board with you as you go in the wrong direction. So Jonah's on this boat. He's heading in the wrong direction. The storm hits and Jonah crawls down into the bow of the ship and he begins to sleep. Jonah's way of dealing with the problems of his life was he's going to sleep them away. He's going to hope and wish his problems just resolve themselves. He's going to close his eyes. He's going to bury his head in the sand and he's going to wish all the problems of his life just magically somehow disappear. But this is not the kind of storm that's going to deal with itself. This isn't just going to go away for Jonah. And so Jonah is driven down deep into this dark bow of the ship. He's down in the bow of this ship, which is to me so, uh, I think about the, the places in my life that, that are the darkest. I think about the, the places in my life that I shudder to even go revisit. I think about those dark holes that I climbed down into that, that I barely even recognize the person I was. I don't even like to acknowledge that those moments existed, but somehow, some way, the storm just drove me deep down into a dark hole into a hole of resentment, into a hole of unforgiveness, into a deep, dark hole of turning to temporary fixes, finding anything, any way, some, something just help relieve the pressure and the pain. Just help me numb it. Help me get away from it. Help me not have to, to, to face it. And Jonah is driven down into 
that place because he was unwilling to see that the storm was sent from God as a gift. I believe that God lets us all go through things that will absolutely destroy everything that we are so somehow we can come out of it and discover who he's really called us to be. So as painful as the storm is, God sends it as a gift. Jonah desiring to sleep it away. Of course, God is not going just to sit back and let Jonah ignore the problem. And so God sends the shipmaster. The shipmaster shows up and in Jonah chapter one, verses six through 11, ask him eight back to back questions. Did you know that God is a question asker? Did you know that God loves to go into the areas of our life that we're hiding and we're ignoring? He likes to ask us some questions. For example, Adam and Eve, they sin, they're hiding in the garden. What's God do? He shows up with a question. Where are you? When they start to act like they were just hiding for this reason or that reason, and they start to blame other things outside of their control for why they were hiding. God says, who told you that? So God is a question asker. The shipmaster shows up and he wants to ask Jonah some hard questions because that's the second gift God gives us. It's the gift of the hard questions. Jonah, why are you sleeping? Jonah, why are you ignoring this? Jonah, why do you think that your problems are just going to resolve themselves? And the shipmaster asked the hard questions because questions can help open doors that otherwise remain closed. Questions can help you break out of old mindsets. Questions can help you get out of a rut that maybe you've been in over this last season. Questions are very powerful. Never forget this, that a good question can inform, but a great question will transform. And the shipmaster shows up and he asks Jonah some hard questions, some great questions. Jonah, what are you doing? Jonah, what are you running from? Jonah, what are you hiding from? Don't you realize that your choices are hurting the people that are closest to you? Don't you realize that there are other people on this ship called life? Don't you see that it's bigger than just you, that the world doesn't just revolve around you? I understand that the storm has caused you to be go down into some deep things and some dark things. And I get that sometimes you want to run from it and hide from it and you want to ignore it. But the shipmaster is there wanting to help Jonah realize as you go down, don't you see that you're dragging other people down with you? And Jonah may be as uncomfortable as he was with those questions. The shipmaster still was not afraid of telling Jonah the truth. Jonah, you can lie to yourself if you want to. Jonah, you can be the spin, the victim of your own spin if you want to. But the shipmaster is not afraid to tell you the truth even when you don't want to tell yourself the truth. It takes humility. It takes brokenness. It takes openness. But the gift of a right question at the right time will make all the difference. This is why God has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your ship master. And everybody likes to think of the Holy Spirit that is sent to comfort us. And he is sent to comfort us, but he's not sent to make us comfortable. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. And we all know a great 
teacher asks the hard questions. The Holy Spirit's a coach. He comes alongside us, guides us. And we all know a great coach doesn't just let you, uh, you know, slough off. A great coach will reach down in you and pull the very best out of you. And so the Holy Spirit that God has gifted us with to come alongside us and walk beside us in life is sent there to challenge us, ask us the hard questions, correct us, convict us. And by the way, for all of us that are here that don't like the chastisement part of things, the Bible says that chastisement, that correction that you get is because God loves you and he's a loving father and he corrects those he loves. And so if you're a son or a daughter of God, you may not like the storm. You may not like the hard questions, but guess what? It's the evidence that God loves you. It's because he's asking you the hard questions. And so the shipmaster this Easter is wanting to ask you some hard questions. Are you on the run today? What's this last season been like to you? What happened? Jonah says, when the shipmaster says, you're not going to sleep through this storm. You're not going to ignore this storm. You're not going to run from it this time. This time the shipmaster has him cornered. And he's going to really get to the bottom of it with Jonah. And you know what Jonah does? Jonah says, this is going to be the way we resolve this storm. He says, you're going to have to throw me in the water, which I think is a good picture of water baptism. Side note. That's why if you come next week, we're going to throw you. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. But, but the point is when Jonah begins to answer the hard questions. He understands that it's going to take steps of obedience for him to begin to get back on the right path. And one of the things he says, is he's like, you know what? I'm going to have to go into that water. Water baptism is a critical step in the life of every person that puts their faith in Christ. It's just a submission saying, God, I understand that my life is yours and that I want to go ahead and go into the water so you can raise me up into newness of life. And so the shipmaster cares enough about Jonah that he grabs him and he throws him overboard. And now Jonah is in the stormy waters and he prays and he says, God hurled me into the deep. Who put God, who put Jonah there? The Bible says God did into the heart of the seas. He says the current swirled about me and all your waves and breakers swept over me. And then Jonah one in verse 17, the Bible says God provided a great fish and it swallowed Jonah. Welcome.
Well, happy Easter. Hopefully you're enjoying this because I'm not. When I think about this story of Jonah, the Bible actually says in Jonah 1.17 that the Lord sent a big fish that swallowed Jonah. This final gift, the gift of a whale that I want to talk to you about, is the most misunderstood gift of all. Jonah said at first he thought that he had been banished from God's sight. But yet, he looked again. I think that so many of us every now and then have to look around at what we're going through and we've drawn conclusions about it. But every now and then we have to say, you know what, maybe it's time to look again. Maybe you've thought God is absent. Maybe you've thought, you know, I prayed, but it's like heaven had a busy signal. Maybe you thought that God had left the building when it came to your situation. You know, most see the well in the story with Jonah is like a form of judgment or a form of punishment. Like God was angry at Jonah and getting even with him. But without the well, Jonah dies. Without the well, Jonah doesn't survive. You know, we never hear Jonah's story without this big fish that God sent. He never ends up preaching to Nineveh. This nation never experiences a revival. The whale is not a picture of punishment. It's a picture of God's divine grace, his divine protection. Maybe it's time today you look again at your disappointment. Maybe you need to look again at the painful moments of your life. Maybe even look again at the failures that you've made in your situation or in your family or in your personal life or in your walk with God. You see, somewhere in the heart of what looks like the end, God's got a whale. God's got grace. God's got his hand of protection. If you look for it, God's grace really can swallow someone up this Easter. To me, that's what Easter is all about. It's the announcement that just like Jonah had to put his life in God's hands, we maybe have to take that step and say, okay, God, I'm going to put my life back in your hands. Without this moment in Jonah's life, it's the end. But when he puts it all in God's hands, when he goes overboard, when he makes a decision to say, I'm not going to go halfway, I'm going to jump all in. This was the moment he became 100% reliant on God's grace. You know, for us, it's not 99% grace and then 1% good works. The problem is most of us want 1% credit for the things that we've done right. Yeah, yeah, God's done a lot, but I made a lot of good decisions as well. And we like to give ourselves credit, but it's all grace or no grace. You are not part of the salvation equation. You can't trust Jesus 99%. Trust is 100% going overboard, going all in. The Bible says when Jonah did that, the Lord provided a huge fish that swallowed him. Jonah's in the stomach of this whale for three days and three nights, surrounded by darkness, surrounded by the stench of death, surrounded by hopelessness. This wasn't an easy season for him. This wasn't fun. This wasn't pretty. This wasn't a moment of his life he's proud of. 72 hours of complete hopelessness, wondering, questioning, is God going to come through this time? Probably not. I doubt it. No one survives a situation like this. We've all heard the stories. But God's character was not in question. 
It was Jonah's character on the stand. I don't know what you're going through, but I want to tell you, God's character is not in question. It's our character that's on the stand. But I love this whale because it took Jonah down into the deep waters. Jonah had to be in this place where he had to be willing to say, okay, God, take me to some deep places. Jonah had to say, okay, God, I'm okay with you doing a deep work. Three days and three nights, God had Jonah in the deep. God took Jonah to school. God said, okay, Jonah, it's time you face some stuff. It's time you quit running from some stuff. Remember, he was angry with God's level of compassion towards the people of Nineveh. Now he's the one that needs it. Now he's the one that says, God, do you love me? Do you care? Can you see me out of this? You see, you can't go overboard and not expect God to give you an overhaul. In order for God to give you a new chapter, he's got to help you end the old chapter. If you let God in this next season do a deep enough work, you know what he's going to show you? He's going to show you the exact things he showed Jonah. He's going to show you that he's faithful. He's faithful even inside the belly of a well. You know, it was in this belly, in this place of hopelessness, surrounded by darkness and the stench of death, that the Bible says Jonah prayed. He prayed in his distress. He called. Seaweeds wrapped around his head. And the Bible says he remembered God in this. I want you to think about this prayer. The Bible says, inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and God listened to my cry. He hurled me into the depths. Who hurled Jonah there? God did, into the very heart of the seas. This next part is so powerful. The current swirled around Jonah. All the waves were breaking and sweeping over him. And he said, this is what Jonah said, I have been banished from God's sight, yet I will look again. I'll look again towards your holy temple. I'm not going to run from church anymore. I'm not going to run from God's house is what he's saying. I'm going to look to it. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweeds wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, Jonah says, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, I love that phrase, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. I remembered you and my prayer rose to you for your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols. Listen to what happens. They turn away from God's love. That's what Jonah was saying. He said, I turned away from your love. But guess what? God's love was always there when I turned to him. And what did Jonah find? Shouts of grateful praise. He says, I'll sacrifice to you. I'll vow to you. I'll make a promise to you and I'll make good on that promise. I will say salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Look at what he found in the belly of the well. He found a shout of gratefulness. He found a shout of praise. He finds a fresh commitment. He says, I'll make good on my promise. 
he finds God's love in the belly of a whale. 72 hours, and he says, God's love was present there with me. And you know what else he finds? He finds he can trust God no matter what life looks like.
If you enjoyed that worship team, it's a new song from Seven Hills Worship. We get asked all the time, so hopefully they'll get that out for you soon. You know, well vomit is surprisingly incredibly rare. I guess whales rarely vomit. They have, they do have a very sensitive digestive system. So if they eat something not in their diet, um, the irritation will cause a reaction, a coughing like reaction. And when they vomit, a black gooey substance comes out that they call amergus. And this black gooey substance floats to the surface of the waters and the sun bakes it and it turns it into a hard waxy substance that is sought after all over the globe. People all over the world search for this, this hardened wax of whale vomit. It's said to be so valuable that one man found a 200 plus pound glob of it and sold it for almost $3 million. You see, some, something inside a well vomit they use in the manufacturing process of the most expensive perfumes in the world. For example, this Chanel number no. five has well vomit in it. God bless you. See, well vomit is the evidence that God sends gifts. See, without the well experience in Jonah's life, he would have showed up in Nineveh, just a normal guy, normal experiences, normal clothes, a normal aroma. But what Jonah went through changed his life. It changed the fragrance of his life. That experience that he went through gave Jonah an aroma that he would have had no other way than had he gone through some things. I'm guessing that Jonah thought, I failed. I've messed up. I've missed it. There's no way God could use this. There's no way God could use someone like me after all of the things that I did to run and to hide and to ignore those black holes of worry and fear and craziness that I found myself in. There's no way that anything worthwhile could come out of that. But you know, 2 Corinthians 2 says that we are the fragrance of Christ to those who are perishing. And that when Jonah showed up in Nineveh, he didn't smell disgusting. He didn't smell gross. Jonah smelled of someone who had been into the deep places with God. The aroma of Jonah's life was the aroma of someone who was willing to let God take him to some deep places. As a result, this man that we call Jonah walked into the city of Nineveh and the aroma of his life turned an entire city back to God. And Jesus said to us, this is the sign I'll give you. If you want to know who I am, if you want to know where I'm from, this is the sign I'll give you. Because just as the aroma that was on Jonah's life as a result of what he had been through changed and turned a city, 
So when Jesus on the third day came out of that grave, there was a fragrance from that moment that was released in the earth, a fragrance that says he's good, a fragrance that says God is for you. A fragrance that says, I know you think you deserve justice. I know you think that you're not deserving of mercy, but the fragrance that Jesus released in the earth is you and I don't get what we deserve because Jesus on the cross got what we deserve. And mercy and grace is something extended to us, not because we've earned it. It's just unmerited. It's undeserved. It's just freely given. By God to us. I still remember the first time that fragrance caught my attention. I still remember it. I was 16 years old. I had no clue of God. I had no awareness of God. I, I had no understanding of spiritual things or godly things. And I was invited to a youth service on a Saturday night in a little church. And I'll never forget that youth pastor preaching Jesus dying on a horrible cross and discussing in, in such a passionate way, the brutality and how savage the death of Jesus was. And I remember him saying it was your sin that put him on that cross and that fragrance of hope stopped me in my tracks. I'll never forget as he began to lay out that as much as your sin put him on that cross, as much as the things that you've done caused him to have to die in your place, he didn't stay that way, but that he rose again from the dead. And, and because he rose again, you and I can have newness of life. And I'll never forget the fragrance of that love that I felt took out this heart of stone and gave me a brand new heart, melted me. Think about it. For 30 years, I've been unable to forget that fragrance. Never forget walking down to an altar, saying yes to him and the fragrance of forgiveness turned my life completely around. And so I felt like God was sending me into Easter to talk to some Jonas, to talk to some people that have been through some storms in 2020, 2021. It's been an unusual gift. You haven't seen it as a gift. You've been running. You've been hiding. You've been ignoring. You've been hoping the issues just resolve themselves. You've crawled down into every imaginable dark place. But the shipmaster's here to ask you some hard questions. Remember, good questions inform, but great questions transform. If you want to leave the Easter service informed, that's one thing. But if you'll answer the hard questions, you can leave this Easter service transformed. This transformation is so significant that the way God decided to describe it in the scriptures was the only way they could think about putting a definition on this moment where we answer the hard question 
was to, was to put it in the same category as being born. And the Bible says, when you answer the hard question, when you really answer the question of, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe he came, lived a sinless life? He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I may become the righteousness of Christ. When we answer that hard question, it's called being born again. The world makes fun of it, but it makes a ton of sense. It's the moment your new life begins. It's the moment you don't just realize that you're born, that you're alive, that you exist, but it's the moment you find out why. And it's a supernatural miracle. No man comes to the Father unless he is drawn by the Father. Someone says, I'll get right with God when I want to get right with him. That's not how it works. When the shipmaster shows up into that dark place in your life, and he starts to ask you the hard questions. You have a decision to make. Are you going to keep running? Are you going to keep hiding? Are you going to keep ignoring? Or are you going to say, man, God, I'm ready to go overboard. I'm ready to put my full trust in you, my full confidence in you. I'm, re I'm ready just to go all in with you. See, the answer to the hard question is one or two answers. Yes or no. Yes, I do believe. No, I do not believe the Bible says that Jesus is God's only son and that he raised him from the dead. And if you believe in him, there's the, you got to believe what's believing. It's saying yes to the question. Yes, he is God's son. He is the way out of this sinful life. Not my good works, not my, my good deeds. No, the only way out is through receiving the grace and the mercy that God extends through Jesus Christ. Yes. 30 years ago, I said, yes. With every eye closed, every head bowed, Pontius Pilate asked this question, what shall we do with the man who is called the Christ? You know what his answer was? He washed his hands. He didn't want anything to do with it. He let someone else take care of it. Listen, this is not something you wash your hands of. This is not something someone else deals with. This is not a question someone else answers. This is a question you answer. Listen to me, Jonah. Are you right with God today? Are you at peace with God? Are you done running? Are you done hiding? Are you ready to say, okay, God, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm done ignoring. I'm done hiding. I'm done hurting. I'm done. I'm ready to say yes. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready. I'm ready to have the new life that you died for me to have. If that's you on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. You say, why would I lift my hand? That's you saying yes. That's you saying, pray for me. That's you saying, yes, I do believe I walked in one way, but I'm going to trust that God's going to help give me a new heart and I'll walk out different than how I came in. You say, Marcus, include me in that prayer. I want to say, yes, I want to put my trust in Christ. I want to put my confidence in Christ. I'm done running on the count of three. Lift your hand as high as you can. One, two, three, lift it high as you can. 
God bless you. God bless you. Many, many hands going up. Keep those hands up. Don't put them back down. Can you keep them raised for just a couple minutes? It's really a personal moment between you and God, but I'm going to, I'm looking. It really blesses me to see you. And a friend of mine is going to put a card in your hands. And as soon as you get that card, you're going to know you can put your hand down. That card is important because I'm going to ask you to give it back to me. And I'm going to talk to you about that in just a minute. Let's all put our hands on our hearts. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on a cross. That you paid the price for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. I receive mercy. I don't deserve it, but I receive the gift of mercy. Say, God, I repent for running. I repent for hiding. I repent for ignoring. And today I say, yes, today I believe that you are God's son and that he raised you from the dead. And my life is yours. I'm going overboard. In Jesus name, we all said, amen. Can we get the Lord a good hand clap together?